0: All right. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. and as always, uh, we are joined by our illustrious panel uh, tonight: Jim Reed, Chris Jones, Andrew Feist, John Somsky, uh, joining the crew here. Thanks to our official sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, and our other podcast sponsors, Learn Pro Poker and website Amp. This is episode 186, and today we've got Chris Moneymaker. The real deal is in the house. Uh, before we jump in with Chris, uh, one quick thing. Make sure you go to rec.poker slash resources. Your one-stop shop for all of our partnerships, the additional discounts, all of that stuff. Uh, it's the last week where you can get one free week of core. Uh, go to redchippoker slash poker. Use the code rec poker, And also the Learn Pro, po- Learn Pro Poker Summer Sale uh, ends Wednesday. Uh, So check that out. We'll hear from Andrew later with some details. Uh, But with that, uh, we're going to bring in Chris Moneymaker. And unless you've been under a rock, you know uh, that he is the 2003 WSOP Main Event Champion. uh, Wrote a book, The Autobiography, Moneymaker, How an Amateur Poker Player Turned $40 into $2.5 Million at the World Series of Poker. So with that, uh, welcome in, Chris Moneymaker.
1: What's up? Is this the first
0: time I've been on the show? It is, you know, you joined us for, uh, we did a play and hang where there's a few of us just kind of hanging out uh, and you jumped on there graciously enough and kind of hung out with us for a little while. Uh,
1: but this is the first time you've been on the podcast. So you're telling me you've had 185 other shows and I've never been on this damn podcast once. Dude, you're, you're
0: elusive. You know, when we launch Rec Poker, who do we think of? We think of Chris Moneymaker. We've yet to, you know, this is the first time we've been able to-
1: Six, obviously.
0: We we've been able we haven't been able to get through your your masses of you know of protectors, uh, to get to the get to the man the myth the legend. So it, it's not for lack of effort. We just you know it finally took. Uh, I like your you changed the name to 186. It it took, it took Jim Reed to jump in there and use his magic touch to actually connect with, uh to connect with your people. So no, we've been wanting to get you on. So this is a big day for us.
2: Is that that charity tournament? It was that charity tournament in Toronto. Chris, you were such a good sport showing up and uh, sharing your time with that great cause, and uh, we just had to had to make it happen. Once I got you face to face, so thank you so much for coming today. This is going to be great.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. That was a fun event. Unfortunately, I don't know how many events we're going to be having like that in the near future. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's been a long time since I've been out on the road. Um, I would say I'm getting homesick, but it's not too bad here. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we're now let's make sure everybody's up to speed on where home is now
1: home is just outside of memphis tennessee um i live down in olive branch mississippi now um my wife's from here that's kind of the reason why we live here although i've been trying to force her to move for the last seven or eight years um i thought i had her for a while we were all we we're looking to move to vegas or to california um but you know, I had her almost in the boat and she got off the hook. We so, have <laughs> to throw the line back in the water here after the quarantine's over. I'll be honest, with the quarantine going on, we couldn't have been happier of having where we are because we have a lot of land, we have a lot of room, and it's made it. I mean, if we lived out there anywhere else, I think we would be really upset. We're out away from everybody. So, you know, riding four wheelers, riding golf carts, swimming in the pool, and avoiding people. it's been really, easy compared to a lot of what a lot of people are dealing with. So I'm kinda glad we didn't move during this time. So but if we don't have another pandemic, um then I want to get out of here. (laughs) Well you said Olive
0: Branch, Mississippi. That sounds like a pretty peaceful place.
3: It's country.
1: It's quiet. (laughs) his country
0: well let's you know we, we have so many questions and the panel will be kind of firing in from time to time here but uh, and I know you've been asked you know the same question over and over again so we'll try to be a little bit creative in what we do but uh, I think for me uh, the most interesting piece of your journey that I'm intrigued by is you know it's the moneymaker effect we're, we're familiar with the story uh, you know the, the average attendance was you know 600 or whatever they had 800 people play, 839 was the field that you got through when you won the main in 2003. The next year it triples to like 2,600 people. Uh, the moneymaker effect is something people have quoted all the time and we can talk about that, but I'm most interested in now as we, here we are 17 years later, uh, if, if, how do you feel about that? Like, you're you're a piece of poker history. You know, your name gets put out there quite a bit when we talk about the growth of recreational poker. Like, is there is there a pride in that? Or is there, what's, what's sort of your reaction when you hear that? Or are you kind of sick of hearing about it?
1: I'm not sick of hearing about it. It's, you know, the reason I still have a job and I'm still kind of relevant. I, I, do, I do love it. I mean, I love having fans. I love um, this part of it. I'll be honest. When I first won, I didn't like the line wide out. You know, I was really nervous. I couldn't do interviews. Like, I probably couldn't do this here with you guys. I would have been too nervous. Um, Obviously, I've gotten over that. But um, I wouldn't change it for the world. I love every second of it. Um, You know, it is kind of weird, 17 17 years later, that, um, uh, you know, I'm still relevant. Even when I don't play a full schedule, I don't do a whole lot. Um, You know, I think some of the younger kids may not know who I am as much. Some of the ones that are just now coming up. But anybody that's, you know, been playing for 10 years uh, obviously knows who I am. And I've only been asked in a poker room twice now uh, who I am. Um, outside of that, everybody's known. I was in <laughs> Uruguay once, and, and I was in Russia once. And um, I got asked twice, who am I? But that was, <laughs> so everybody, everybody at the table, you know, looked at him like, what in the hell was your problem? Know. I instantly knew who to pick on
0: yeah, right. <laughs> well, is that I mean, how is that then? Like the, the whole, you know, you're you're a country guy, you don't you didn't like the limelight at first, and you're instantly, like overnight, a very recognizable figure, name. You know, you had to get used to it, but what is that like to be famous? To be to go into a poker room and everybody knows who you are, whether it's whether they're up in your face or not is one thing, but just everybody knows who you are. That seems like kind of a, a surreal thing.
1: It's definitely surreal. Uh, I got really fortunate in a lot of ways. One, um, my episode didn't air. We played it in March, and it didn't air until August. So I got a little bit of a breather between when I won and when I got famous. Um, I did David Letterman. I did some other shows leading up to that. So the first show I ever did was David Letterman. I told them they're crazy. There's no way in hell I'm doing it. You know, that's just not going to happen. Obviously, I got talked into it. Uh, so I did that. I did Good Morning America, 2020, Cold Pete's, all these different shows. And um, it really got me ready for when it started airing on TV. Um, when it first started airing, it wasn't really that big a deal. It was a seven-week series. But by the end of it, and when they started to reshow it all the time, and by the time the World Series rolled back around again the next year, yeah, poker had taken off massively and, you know, just really exploded. And it was, you know, pretty cool. My second tournament uh, that I played was the WPT and um, made the final table of that one. And, you know, so that was really cool to um, have that follow up the main event. And then I kind of just stopped playing for a while and uh, became more of a homebody, I guess. Um, But then I started traveling a whole lot again. And ever since I've been playing, but I like playing the lower stakes. I like having fun. I like the rec poker side of poker. Um, When I tell people, you know, why I don't win 10Ks, I play about one or two 10Ks a year. It's hard to win when you don't play them.
0: Yeah, and you've been a great contributor to Rec Poker. I mean, I know you've, you know, in terms of what your writing has been and those sort of things, like people can relate to you. But you also, it's not just oh, here's a guy who just happened to win this one big tournament. You know, you've been able to give strategy and give some input to to recreational players playing those smaller stakes. I know you've written parts of books and and that sort of thing. So, you know, what what is it, I guess, about the smaller stakes—that's the draw. What is it that kind of I mean, attracts you? I never that wanted to be a
1: poker player. I mean, that was never my my dream to yeah. be a poker player. I, I like the um, having a steady paycheck. I like the, the consistency and the the safety of that. Um, but after getting second and then working reworking my deal with poker stars, I realized it was more profitable to quit my job and become a full time poker player. Um, that being said, um, I didn't want to go risk my whole bankroll. And playing cash, I you know, I have a pretty good job. I have a pretty good um, gig with Poker Stars, and they take care of me. So at the end of the day, um, I get to enjoy poker, and I much more enjoy poker playing it at lower stakes with people that are having fun than people that are sitting there and listening to music and not talking and not engaging with people. Um, so if I'm looking to play poker, I'm going to look and find the fun table or the table that's either drinking or just you know cutting up or I guess, today, any table that's actually running. Um, But, you know, so that's always what I look for. I want to enjoy the game. And I think that's why after, you know, 20 years of playing, I still enjoy the game and I still do like it because I don't have the risk or the stress of going broke playing in a big game. And um, I get to have fun when I'm playing.
3: And and take, take us back a little to that sort of 2003 year. What... What drew you to the World Series of Poker in the first place back before it was like, I mean, you made it a thing that it became such a bigger deal. But what, what drew you initially to it um, before there was the moneymaker effect?
1: Well, I like being in casinos. Um, I like playing blackjack and I liked uh, pit games, essentially. But every time I went to the casino, I left broke. And, um, you know, it's never really fun to do that. So the movie Rounders came out. Um, me and my buddy started playing poker around the kitchen table. We played wild card games, Chase the Queen, AC Ducey, all those type games. And uh, it was dealer's choice. So, you know, um, when it got to this one guy, he always picked Hold'em. And we all cringed and said, this is the worst game ever. Because at the time, there was only one, two, there was only limit hold. There was, there was really no such thing as no limit Hold'em back then. Um, if you went to Tunica, you could play limit Hold'em and that was it. So, we would play one, two, women, hole, and just fold on his so we would get through it real fast. So, we could go back to play the the <laughs> pot games. Um, but over time, I started going down to Tunica and went to the casino and realized that I could go in there and not go broke, um, which was really great. And then one trip, I was down there and someone told me, Hey, you can play online poker. You know, go to the poker stars and check it out. Went back home, thought, Well, this is going to be a scam. But tried it anyways. I was like, hey, this isn't too bad. And, you know, started playing. And next thing you know, I turned $86 into $2.5 million, Which I wrote a book that said 40
0: <laughs> Yeah, you know, I thought I, I saw both of those things. Why did you go with 40
1: instead of 86 Honestly, I thought it was $40. Uh, the night that I was, <laughs> again, you gotta realize, I was, again, the most nervous person on the planet. <laughs> and I won the World Series of Poker. And that night, they put all these... Uh, microphones in my face. Yeah. And, you know, they started asking me all these questions, and it was three o'clock in the morning. And they're like, you know, how much was your buying? How much did you get in for? And I'm like, I think it was $40. Um, so I remember I played a $40 satellite, and I, you know, I guess I played an $86 satellite. Well, I went with 40 and no one ever corrected me. It wasn't <laughs> told to me until 12 years later that it was $86. So I, w- I went out to the Iowa band, and I was playing um, over there in a the home game, and one of the uh, got data guys came up to me. He's like, Do you know, your tournament was a $86 buy-in. And I said, well, for the last 12 years, I did not know that. No. Um, he the, book <laughs> the book says 40. The book says everything. You know, I've got a picture. Um, <laughs> yeah, right here. It says turning $40. I have a picture framed in my house that says turning $40 into 2.5. Um, I, I just, for again, for 10, 12 years, I just thought it was 40 bucks. Um, but he said, no, the actual ticket that I used was the $86 ticket. And that got me into the $615 tournament, which got me my seat into the World Series. So I had to go back and change everything that I had done in my life for the last decade. And Yeah,
0: it, uh, it kind of feels like you've been living a lie.
1: It did. My ROI <laughs> dropped significantly. I thought I was a good player. And um, I just yeah. found out I wasn't. It dropped in half. I mean, you know, it, it's a hard pill to swallow. I mean, that day was really bad when you realized that you're you're half as good as what you thought you were.
0: So do you think like, I mean, after, after you won the, the main event tripled and do you think if people had known it was an $86 entry that maybe those numbers aren't there, aren't there <laughs> people? <laughs> no,
1: I don't think it made one bit of difference. <laughs> no, of course no, not. not. The year before, An amateur won it the year before um, by yeah. the name of Robert Clark. And um, Robert's a great guy. He's got a, you know, he's, he's a good guy, but the problem is, is he comes off as a very smart individual. He went to MIT um, and he just doesn't relate well with, with people that want to get into poker and think that they have a shot because, again, he's you know it's either a pro winning or some super smart guy, and then they see some dumb hick come and win it, and they're like, whoa, hell, if he can do it, that's what got it started. It had nothing to do with $40, $86. Hell, I could have yeah. bought straight into the tournament. They just see me winning, and they look at my face, and they're like, oh, wow, okay, well, hell, now I can do it. So, I mean, that's why well, a record was probably more. I mean, because people think they can do it, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, because the MIT, it's a recreational player that wins it the year before. But MIT, well, that's MIT. Like, you know, how many of us can can pretend we have that? Whereas if if you're, you know, if you feel like the perception of you was, you know, he's an accountant, so he's smart, clearly. But he seems like an everyday Joe. He's relatable. He seems like he has fun playing. I want to have fun playing. Maybe I could do it, too. So, I, I think you're right. I think it wasn't just that an amateur wanted it. It was that you won it. Uh, with your personality, your outgoingness, even though you said you're you got sort of camera shy there afterwards, I think it was that piece. Like you know, Jim Reed sitting up there in Canada drinking a grosh right now, thinking maybe I can be Chris Moneymaker.
1: You
2: know, it on.
1: <laughs> you know, not not everybody can be Chris Moneymaker, but uh, you know, it, it was the perfect storm. I'll be honest. Yeah. The NHL lockout was going on um, when they started airing it on TV, so um, ESPN was kind of. Sort of like now, trying to look for things to put on TV. You know, right now they're putting on Korean baseball and porthole and God knows what else. Well, back then they were just putting on poker nonstop because that was getting the ratings. Um, you know, you see poker on a lot of different channels still, um, you know, because again, there's not a whole lot to put on TV at this present time. So, yeah. um, but Chris, did you have time. a follow up? was getting huge ratings.
3: Yeah. yeah. When, when did that first sort of become a reality for you? When did you sort of like, as, as the these episodes were airing, when did it first, first sort of like dawn on you that this is actually becoming a pretty big deal? Like what, do you remember a moment that sort of like made you understand that?
1: Uh, I guess the, the biggest moment for me was actually when the WPT aired um, the net. Uh, it was February. I think it aired like right before the main event started for the next year and they did the promos like we have Moneymaker and you know, it was some big promotion. Um, you know, because again, the, the World Series was kind of, um, I don't say manipulated, that's not the right word. It was scripted because it was they edited it for six months, so they did a really good job of writing stories and gathering hands and gathering player profiles, which was great for poker. That's what made poker so interesting, is you could develop characters and players, and that's why I think a big reason why today you see people that from that time frame, whether it be Daniel Negrano, Phil Home with Mike Mattisel, myself, they're still kind of and you know, they're they're the poker superstars, not the younger generation guys. It's come up some of it is, you know, their personalities maybe, but a lot of it is is the poker was just delivered in a different medium back then. There were a lot more stories and a lot more personality, where now they focus on the gameplay and it's not edited six months later. So it's more about the game than it is the players. And I think that's why, you know, I'm still relevant 17 years later. And you see the guys, all the, all the guys, you know, Phil Ivy, everybody that's relevant is, you know, basically from that era for the most part. I mean, obviously you have a few outliers, but for the most part, it's the people that came back from the, the old school era. Back when Rob was a young man.
0: <laughs> Rob, were you, were you ever a young man? No, <laughs> he's
4: shaking his head no, no. never. No, he's making a great point though. If you think about poker and TV, there was this period of time where you had all of these heroes that were playing and you everybody knew their names and who is this guy and who is this everybody knew who they were, you know, you had some of the guys that uh you don't want to talk about it anymore but uh, <laughs> you know the Phil Hellmuths and the Daniel Negreanus and and the Phil Ives and those guys and they had characters. Huck Seed was one of them, you know all these different characters and everybody knew who they were. And today you look at the roundup at the, like the main event final table. And most of the time you've never seen these guys before. So there was that period of time, right, right after the moneymaker effect where there was a huge amount of really personalities in poker that everybody was knew who they were. Now everybody puts on their headphones and their sunglasses and nobody knows who they are and they, they don't talk and they don't, they don't have any personalities, So nobody gets into them or anything. So yeah, it was a, it was a different time. Definitely.
0: So, so what do you think it'll take to have another poker boom? I mean, do you think that's even possible in this day and age or is that sort of a one time thing or what, what would it take to see kind of the next wave of poker growth?
1: Well, you know, there's two things. One, you know, it's never going to be like it was in 04, 05, 06, because you had millions of people coming to play the game that had no clue what they were doing, and there was no literature out there to teach them. So it was basically just a free-for-all of whoever could take the money fastest. Um, the only way that we're going to see any kind of boom or explosion like that is going to be um, if the United States legalizes online poker uh, nationwide. And also you see emerging markets like India and China coming on. Um, There are mass growth going on in in those areas. And obviously if women come into the game, there's, you know, women back in the day, I mean, I would say, you know, 1% of the field was women and now you're inching on maybe maybe 5, 10% of the field might be women today. I mean, it's definitely grown 10X factor probably, but still there's, you know, obviously a big growth um, area there. Um, But the problem is is you're never going to get What everybody wants is the boom where everybody came in and didn't know what they're doing. Now there's so much material out there to learn that even though people will come in and start playing, they're going to come in better prepared and better, you know, they're not going to just be literally punting off money, which I mean, I could take a person, teach them how to play poker in two hours in 2004, send them to the casino and I can guarantee they were going to make money. Uh, You're never going to get that again, unfortunately. Um, So if you're looking for just like free money flying from the sky, it's probably not going to happen. But there's definitely some things that could develop and give us a um, boost in player numbers.
2: So here's
0: a question from uh, one of the folks that's listening in. uh, Rob Adsom asked you this question. Uh, I'm sure you've answered this question a million times, but can you talk about what was going through your mind during the famous King-7 bluff against Farha? Did you decide when you made the turn raise that you were following through on the river? What range did you put Farha on, uh, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, we got the heads up. We talked about doing a chop. And right, and when we were talking about that, I had a two-to-one chip lead. And uh, Sam thought he deserved more money, like more than half of the money. And I said, just put it in two and play for the bracelet. Um, he said, well, he thinks he deserves more. We should just put all the money together and play for it all. Huh. Um so immediately, you know, it's a slap in the face thinking he's that much better than me. So I basically told him to F off and let's play. But during that conversation, I realized that he thought he was that much better than me. And, I, you know, I wasn't the smartest guy in the shed, but I knew if, I, if I'm better than someone else, I want to keep the pot small and I want to use mm. my experience to try to whittle him down. And if you go back and look at the coverage, Farha repeatedly claims that pros don't like playing with him because he puts a ton of pressure on him. But he doesn't do that against amateur players. He, t- he tends to try to use his experience and milk him. So throughout the entire tournament, you would see Farhall would put extreme pressure on just about everybody, except for myself, Tumor Vinicius. You wouldn't see him playing big pots with us generally. Um, it was always against, you know, you saw him several times against Talamuth and Amir Vahidi and a couple other guys. Um, but he just kind of avoided the amateurs and was just waiting for us to make mistakes. Well, in knowing that, I know that he wants to keep the pots as small as possible. So I know going in, I can push him around a little bit and make a big play. And that when this hand developed, um, I totally got to the turn, and he called my turn raise. I put him on this, you know, what's different today versus 2003? In 2003, you put people on a hand. It wasn't a range of hands. It wasn't, I think he has this, 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 or this. It was... Okay, he has the ace of spades with the nine of clubs. I mean, you know, you're putting people on hands. So I, I gave him like middle care with uh, an ace, an ace high flush draw. So my plan on the river, since I had a king high flush draw, was if the spade came, I was actually going to check. Uh, I was actually going to give up and um, think that, you know, if he calls me on the turn, he's probably on the draw and he's going to have me beat. He's not going to call me unless he has the nut flush draw. Um, and if he already has a flush, he's going to re-raise me all in on the turn. So I'm pretty sure at this point that he's going to pair with the with the nut flush draw. Um, and that's kind of what I put him on. And so when it bricked off, I knew if it didn't come a spade, if I hit my straight or if it came a brick, I was going to fire all in no matter what. I was going to follow through. I'd already made my mind up um, that, you know, I was firing anything that wasn't a spade. And if a spade came, you know, I was going to check. And if he ended up betting, I was going to have to make a crying call and, I don't, I don't think I'm ever folding King High Flush there, but um, it definitely would not have been fun. I don't. I didn't want to – honestly, I, you know, I was sitting back thinking um, on the turns, like I just hope a spade doesn't come. Um, you know, I hope I don't hit one way on my hand. Um, I, I, <laughs> I just knew he was relatively weak. I really was surprised when he called on the turn. But once he called on the turn, I pretty much had a good idea that he had just a wild pair type. Um, and, then again, this is, you know – a different time. Um, that, the way I played that hand, the way I looked in that hand, um, I would have snap called myself t- today. Um, <laughs> I mean, you don't fold top pair um, against someone that plays the hand that way and then looks the way I looked. I mean, it's it's funny going back and look at some of the older coverages to seeing how many tells and how mu- you know just how much mm. how many mistakes were made. And how lines were so different back then. And if you played the lines the same way today, you're just gonna get destroyed. So that's, that's so interesting. In Go ahead. No, uh, no, it worked in 03, but I don't think it's working in 2020.
0: It's so interesting because we had Jerry Yang on recently too, and he he kind of said the same thing when he made a big a big call against somebody like if they would have just shut up, whatever, you know, like like now there's there are these verbal tells going on that right now it seems like everybody just picks up on. But back then uh, it was just sort of loose lips and uh, loose, loose facial expressions well, and all you, that stuff. The
1: only book you had was uh, Mike Carroll's Book of Tales. Everybody read that book, but outside of that, no one knew any other book. And basically, the, only, the whole premise of his book was strong as weak and weak as strong. So, I mean, other than that, no one knew to not talk or not, you know, they didn't know what you know, scratching your nose or uh, right. looking down at your chips how you held your cards, all all these things that you look for now, they didn't know any Not it. No one knew it. Uh, I, I will say most people still don't know about it, but when you start playing at higher levels, people do. But, um, you know, in 2003, definitely, not, there were very, very few people that knew to look for things.
0: Andrew, did you have something there?
1: Uh, kind of
5: piggybacking off of that, Chris. I was just how the game has changed from when you want it to now i mean how is how has your game changed, and like with as much how, how everything's kind of been kind of anal- analytical and how everybody's using solvers I mean the, a lot of people that's a discussion that that's actually bad for the game. I mean what's your opinion on that and how what have you done to change your game as it's kind of evolved into
1: 2020 well I've had a lot of coaches first of all I've had um, some mental coaches I've had uh, poker coaches I've had poker groups. Um, I've signed up for poker training courses, um, you know. And honestly, when I teach people too, I learn that way. Uh, just having discussions about poker, whether people are worse than you or better than you, is going to help your game. But obviously, if they're better than you, it's definitely going to help your game. Um, but it's always being open to new ideas and finding out. You know, one of the biggest things I was always good at was when I made it, when I busted out of a tournament or I made it what I made a mistake in a tournament. I could always run back to a group of people and ask them what the, what the, would they have done. And even, you know, it's funny because you can play a hand like Ace King, which seems so face up, like this is, you know, something you definitely should do. And then you have, you ask six or seven people and they all give you different answers how you should have played it. Um, So that's how I've changed my game over the years. You know, I I do know GTO to an extent. I know, you know, um, ranges and all that stuff. I've studied, you know, I've studied all the cool terminology and, Um, the hands that you're supposed to play, which we didn't know back in 2003 and, you know, how to, you know, adjust based on blind levels and based on position. Again, you know, this was all stuff we didn't even, it's sad, what we didn't know in 2003. I mean, uh, I remember I was abusing the bubble in 2003 and I didn't even know I was doing it. I just did it instinctively because (laughs) I knew I had a big stack, and I knew everybody else wanted to make $17,000 or whatever it was. So I was like, well, he doesn't want to bust. So I'm just going to shove all in. And it worked. And so um, I I found out a lot of stuff during that tournament just by mistake, um, just by natural playing. um, But I had to fine-tune it over the years. Um, But the the biggest thing for me personally um, was I had to realize that if I'm playing in a live setting, uh, not so much online, but more in a live setting, that I can't study people too well or too good because they're going to play different against me than they do everybody else. So I have to be aware that people play polarized against me. They're either going to come at me or they're going to avoid me. And I have to, you know, so I have to study people a little bit differently when they play against me. And, you know, I got really good at that, knowing when, you know, people were getting crazy eyes that want to come at me and make plays and I could really pick them off. Um, and then people that just sort of want to stay out of my way. And it was pretty easy to, to see that after a while. Um, but that took some adjustment for sure.
0: What I love about that is just, you know, you know, we've got all this great phraseology now, like you're talking about, you know, punish the bubble, whatever, but, you know, you're using instinct, you're using logic. Uh, in those situations. And I think for me, that shows the power of learning principles more than the micro learning. Like, you know, learn, what is it, learn the different stages of a tournament. What should be happening on the bubble? You know, what are people thinking in the bubble? You know, so the, the micro learning is good. Maybe the solvers are good, but just these principles of saying, just asking yourself what's going on here in the dynamic of the tournament right now. And then how do you adjust to counteract that? I love that. And the other thing, of course I love because you know, we promote it all the time on the show is learning community, like especially recreational players that we don't have 40 hours a week to commit to learning. So spend an hour or two a week with people that are all learning different things. And then, you know, study a book or study a video or talk about your hands. I just, I'm such a huge proponent of learning and community. Plus it's just way more fun, right? You build relationships.
1: That's it. And I'll be honest, you know, when you talk about these solvers and talking about GTO, um, it's great when you're playing a 50K buy-in against elite competition. But if you take your GTO and you go try to play it at your local casino in the $50 dollars buy nightly, you're going to get chewed up and spit out. I mean, you've got to play exploitatively there or you're going to get killed. Um, you know, when you're playing against top-notch competition, yeah, you might want to veer towards GTO and play a little bit more optimally, sort of like the whole kill-fill back in the day where you just move all in pre-flop. You play, you know, the, pr- the, the proper ranges against good players, Um, But even now, I mean, I think, you know, even more now, I've I've been uh, playing suboptimally against professional players even more because there've been all these solvers are coming out and you kind of know what what ranges they're playing and you can actually, you know, play a little bit more uh, suboptimally against them and uh, do quite well. I think the exploitive style is definitely the way to go when you're playing cash and it's definitely doesn't hurt in tournaments.
0: So what, what sort of advice would you have then for the recreational players? Most of the folks that are listening to the show are they're playing home games, they're playing bar leagues when they're open, they're playing the you know, $100 under tournaments at the casino and then, you know, sometimes moving up or whatever, uh, and, but they want they want to play, they want to have fun, they want to build relationships, but they do want to get better. So what would you advise for those of us who are in that camp that maybe just have a couple hours a, a week or a few hours a month to devote to, to this game that we love?
1: Well, it's not rocket science. I mean, the first thing is, you know, the, the biggest and most important thing you could ever have is bankroll management. Uh, you know, don't go try and play a $1,000 tournament when your bankroll's, you know, $15,000. Um, you know, you, you need to be able to realize what is good, proper bankroll management, first of all. After that, it's just really, you know, to get good at the game, You, you again, you talk with people. but Like, if i go into to sit down on a Barley game, I can sit down and I can tell you who can play and who can't play within five minutes. You look for people that come in with backpacks on. Anybody that shows up at a Barley game or a Skullbind <laughs> wearing a small body backpack, you know they kind of know what they're doing. Um, you watch for people that try to teach you at the table. Usually people that teach you at the table think they're a lot better than what they are. Mm-hmm. And you, one thing you just got to realize is as you're sitting at the table, it's more about observation. You're going to say, okay, this guy's just having drinks. He's here for fun. So I'm never going to bluff this guy. This guy over here with his backpack thinks he's really good so I'm going to bluff this guy, and you just go from there and start paying attention. The game is more observation than anything else. I mean, you don't really have to go study the game so much. You just have to study what your opponents are doing and then just pay attention to position. Position is so crucial in poker, and mm-hmm. as, as an amateur player, I think that's probably the biggest overlooked Um, thing or the the two things I think amateur overlook more than anything are playing position and then stack sizes knowing how to adjust to stack sizes when you know you're playing off a 10 big blind stack versus a 50 big blind stack and anytime you play in those bar league games you know that you can go from a 100 big blind stack an hour ago to a two big blind stack and you didn't play a hand because (laughs) it moves up super fast so you have to know basically if I I was to learn anything I want to know how to play under a 20 big blind stack. I want to perfect that part of my game because, first of all, most Barley players don't know how to play that. Second of all, you're going to be there very quickly in most nightly tournaments and things like that. So if I was going to spend my time, that's where I would spend it, learning my call fold ranges, learning my, learning my, my shove ranges, my call ranges, and things like that.
0: Oh, it's so good. I I totally agree with that assessment in terms of, you know, the, the the position, the stack sizes. I think that is the thing because when you play the small and buy-in tournaments, you're playing 80% of the tournament at 40 big blinds or less. Like, you start at 100 big blinds and even if it's in a casino, oftentimes within, you know, three three levels you know which is yeah,
1: the you first know, three levels is poker, then after
0: that <laughs> <laughs> right, which is usually an hour or less, right, twenty minute levels, fifteen minute levels, and so you know you're playing you know I think people are spending their time learning how to play two hundred big binds deep when they're maybe going to do that once a year, once every two years, uh, that kind of thing. And, and the, the observation thing, I've, I think is super interesting too. And it seems like you just kind of naturally understand human behavior more than some others too. Cause I think some of us, or at least I struggle with, okay, I can observe everything in the world, but I have to make the connections. Okay. What do I do with that? Oh, okay. Well they think they're better than they are. Okay, great. Great observation. I need to know what to do with that. And I think that's maybe some of the off the felt, you know, discussions that we need to have are, okay, what do we do with that? So I'm not trying to figure it out on the fly, it becomes second nature.
1: Right. And then, you know, that is kind of, I mean, I don't know, it's always become second nature to me is, you know, what, what is someone's motivation in being there? Um, obviously, if you show up and play the main event, you kind of know. But even, even when you're playing the main event, you know, I start up conversations with people all the time. And, you know, they'll tell you their whole history as you're sitting there. Um, you know, I was playing in a game. The guy told me he played one, two, and one, a, group, uh, a home game satellite to get to the main event one year. I mean, I, I know this guy's scared money. I know that I'm going <laughs> to brutalize this guy. Um, and it's funny. I used to teach for the WPT, and, I, you know, I gave this speech about how, you, you know, if I sit down at the table with you, poker is a game of information. So I'm going to sit down, and first of all, you, I'm a talkative guy. I'm going to talk to everybody at the table. And you're going to tell me your life story because I'm, one, I'm Chris Moneymaker, and two, I'm a nice guy. So you're going to tell me, you know, hell, I haven't played poker in two years. I play every single day. You're going to tell me everything there is to know about you. So I go, we're have the poker camp, and then we have the tournament later, and we're about ready to play this tournament. And I'm sitting there, and this young guy sits down next to me, and I'm like, hey, how you doing, man? Nice to meet you. I'm Chris. Yada, yada. Start talking to him. And this 80-year-old lady comes up behind me. And she goes, excuse me. And we both turned to her and looked. And like, do not talk to this man. He is not your friend. He is trying to get information from you. Do not talk to him. She was in my seminar, and she, she heard, and she came over to protect guy. Oh, Tennessee that's fantastic. In the tournament. So um, I was like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> he is not your friend.
4: I tell people all the
1: time, when I'm I'm talking to you at the poker table, I might act like I'm your friend, but I'm there to take all your money and make you cry. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I don't want to hurt anybody, but if you're at the poker table, you should be playing with money you can afford to lose, and I want to make you lose it all.
0: And I want to be the one to to cause you to lose it, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I I don't want you to get it. It needs to all come to me eventually.
0: Right. Speaking of not wanting to give my money to anybody, John, did you have something? John, are you on there? Uh, he might be. He might be having problems. I know he he wants. To I share think I can have my
6: audio fixed now.
0: Is there we wrong? go, really John, John. John likes sort of these dramatic pauses. He likes us to wait for him. You know, it gives him sort of a power trip. So, okay, here you go, John.
1: <laughs> I've
6: been waiting for a move. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was going to say you've been playing uh, poker for a while, and you're still pretty passionate about it. What out of anything you could play, what is your favorite thing to play these days?
1: Mixed games. I mean, I'm, I'm more, um, playing eight game mix or, you know, dealer's choice type games, something to keep, keep it fresh, especially if we were to play shorthanded in these times, I wouldn't play unless it was mixed games. Um, no limits, great and all, but, um, you know, there's only so much you can do with two cards. So give me mixed games. Let me play a wide range of things. And, uh, That's what I enjoy doing. Most of the home games that I play, we play mixed games.
6: Do you have a favorite mixed game?
1: I I like them all, to be honest. Um, If I had to say my favorite, it's probably Omaha 8 or better. Um, But I also like Raz a lot. I get really shitty cards, so I'm good at that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I I I should pick up Raz. (laughs) (laughs) And then you'll start picking up big hands. I, I think what John's trying to get is, you know, I mean, John's, John's our mixed game expert. We, we're we all starting to learn mixed games because we think that's kind of a fun way to introduce us. Some of us have never or very rarely played mixed games. So we're just starting to do that. Uh, you know, we, we've started this deal once a month. On the second Wednesday, every month we play a mixed game. We do we do a home game every single night, but like the second Wednesday, we do a mixed game. So John, you know, is introducing us to all of these games. Like I think triple something called Triple Stud is is this coming Wednesday and... Uh, so we're, we're learning too. Cause I think it, you know, I love Hold'em. I'm still trying to learn so, that game, but questions. go no ahead.
1: Questions. Yeah. Are you playing for money? No. Okay. I was going to say, John's probably locked the door if you are, but <laughs> now, let me teach you guys this game.
5: I say you want in, don't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I got something you guys need to know. No, we, we
0: just do a free, it's a free home game on Poker Stars uh, every night. We just, we play for a little bronze pin and uh, shout out on the podcast. It's just a fun way of building community. And so, yeah, so if we talk you into playing, uh, playing on a Wednesday night, you can crush us in triple stud.
1: Yeah, I love it. You know, I play home games just about every night with a different group of people. You know, we'll have, I'm playing like a little minor celebrity home game with some other pros. I play, a, there's a, a bunch of pros that we would play together. Actually we play every night in mix games a lot. Um, so we're always splashing around on home games and, uh, with this pandemic, you know, you can't play online poker, you know, legally, you can't do anything. So home games is really where it's at. Um, and it's, you know, what we love more than anything is getting on zoom and, um, needling people as, as we bust them. I mean, it, it's fun when you, uh, see either a poker pro or an actor that you've seen on TV and you go over a bad beat and you watch a cringe in the, in the screen and laugh at them. Oh,
0: <laughs> well, we've started doing that too, where we supplement it with the zoom thing. So if, if you're ever interested, I mean, obviously you have got a million things going on, but if you ever want to jump on our home game, let us know. We'll put you on the zoom and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about playing triple stud with you.
1: I'll be, I'll be honest. I used to have a million things going on. I don't have a million things going on anymore. (laughs)
0: Don't tell me that, dude. I'm going to be all over you. I'm going to be up in your business.
2: Oh, you're in trouble now, Chris. That's bad (laughs) news, man.
1: Look, listen, I won't play home games where you're playing no limit, but if you have a Wednesday night or something where you play a mixed game, I'll come on and and educate and help and um, answer some questions. Well, let's we'll we'll talk about that seriously. So, we'll like like July it,
0: July eighth, we're playing triple studs. So we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it. that deal. We'll we'll put a bounty on you if you end up playing. We'll give somebody a hat or something. But uh, yeah, we'll see. if We can work that out because that would be what so fun. would love that. What's that? What kind of hat you send me? Uh, we'll send you a rec poker hat. Yeah, hey, Andrew's got one there.
4: Andrew's <laughs> That's got one right, right
0: there. <laughs> I'm like, all it. right. <laughs> we have got a- another question. I know we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but Jen Nelson uh, wants your perspective on what the likelihood is of the World Series having a live main event this year. Or are we just? Are we just? Should we just assume we're out of luck until next year?
1: Well, are you talking about a live main event somewhere outside the U.S.? I think that might be a possibility.
0: I think she's probably referring to the Vegas. You I know, know what she's. Do-
1: I think she- I know yeah. what she's referring to, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anybody. I would assume most of you guys are in the U.S. Yes. Um and as you all know, we suck at this virus. So I really don't think that we're going to have live poker um, safely, and I don't see any live term going off this year. Yeah. Um, I would be really, really shocked, and I think it would be almost irresponsible for someone to have it in the U.S. Um, I could see something like WSOP Europe or WSOP Asia, something like that. You know, where the maybe they've got the virus more contained. And they just don't want Americans come. Um, I could see something along those lines. But um, I'll be honest. I mean,
4: mm-hmm.
1: I just don't know how with what we have going on in this country right now, how we're going to be able to hold, get together and have a mass just poker tournament. It just, I just don't right. see it happening. Because this, this time frame right now is where we're supposed to be going down in the virus. It's summertime. It's supposed to be, poof, magically going away. And it's not. So um, I can't imagine, you know, they're talking about delaying it to the fall. Um, the fall just is probably going to be much worse, so I, I don't see it. Yeah, that, that's that's we well what I, I to agree. I mean, you yeah. know, maybe we have a have a hybrid where they do online and it merges at the end to uh, you know a final table or two of, of real life poker. I think there's been some discussions about that, um, but then again, you get to the situation where you know I'm in Mississippi, I mean, it's just, if you have to travel to New Jersey or Nevada to play. Um, I'm not going to be playing in the in the World Series of Poker this year so I'm not going to risk myself or my family to go travel and play um, when i don't right. have to um and that you know that's a big you know risk for some people and yeah you know big expense too
0: no for sure well any uh, any other final questions from from the panel or from the folks that are listening on the line i'll give you give you just a couple seconds here to either unmute or chime in uh chris jones and then, yeah. Rob. Just,
3: I guess one one follow up to that. Um, speaking, just speaking of kind of online poker, and and uh, you know, you're somebody who's who's tapped into a lot of like sort of the online poker world. At least you've been an ambassador for them. What what is your thought about the likelihood or the outlook for online poker in the U.S.
1: I've always been very bearish on it. Um, unfortunately, I don't think, you know, it's something that's on the top of people's radar. And I don't think politicians really understand the amount of tax revenue it can generate because of the states that we're in. We don't share liquidity and there's just not enough player base there to generate enough revenue. Um, when you talk, talk about sports betting and things like that, well, that's a lot more... Money And that's why you see sports betting getting legalized around the U.S. Um, that being said, you saw small progress being made in individual states. If you see a state like California, New York, Florida, Pennsylvania is a big state, um, that you've seen some of these states that these bigger states that get it and they start seeing the tax revenue generate, then you'll start seeing more and more states come on because you know, these states are going to be really cash strapped, especially from this virus. Um, but I think the virus has definitely killed about anything though, any kind of momentum that was going on. I just don't know if they're, they're not meeting or they're talking about other things because I haven't heard anything about any states legalizing since um, before this the virus took hold. So um, if we ever get back and start getting normal, I know that you know we have states like Florida and Michigan are both relatively close. Um, they both, you know, had bills ready to go and Almost been legalized. I know there's another state that I think has been legalized. I want to say it's West Virginia or Wisconsin, something like that. Um, I know there's another state that should have online poker here starting up. Um, I think it's been approved and it has to be like another year from now. Um, But I could be wrong on that. Again, I haven't looked at it since any of this stuff started. Um, But a long way to answer a simple question, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I'm a rosy person, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well you're 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 a logical,
0: honest, transparent person. That's I I love it, man. Rob, did you have something?
4: Yeah, I didn't have I didn't really have a question. I just want to thank Chris Moneymaker for being who he is because I think of all of the interviews that I've heard on different podcasts throughout the years, one thing has always shined through is that your love of poker and the way you want everybody to be able to enjoy it. You know, you don't put on airs, you don't put it on like I'm the greatest thing in the world. You're just so real, so down to earth. You love the game. You love sharing the game. And I think that's just a a testament to who you are. So I really want to thank you for just being Chris. I appreciate it. I changed my name
0: for you. (laughs) <laughs> the champ there it is well I, I i don't know a better way to kind of close off our, our questions and comments than that i think i think we all uh ascribe to that you know i think you're just so relatable and and we love we love having you on it took us 186 to get you on but it wasn't you for you lack <laughs> you know we'll see we'll see you again in another three or four years i guess
1: <laughs> yeah i mean but, i guess it, maybe i could be number 500 on the, on the list right. awesome we'll,
0: we'll celebrate number 500 with you man no yeah, you be I'm, careful I'm if you're not I'm if you're not I'm super busy we'll have you on every other way. week
1: i'm gonna sit by my phone waiting for that wednesday night invitation to the home game and it's just never gonna come they're gonna oh, it's gonna it's the
0: be, the be there it's gonna yeah, be uh, there my, my oh, friend yeah. we're, we're yeah. gonna send you a
1: half say no <laughs> I
0: mean, we we might, we might. I have to talk to the man, Jim Reed. We might even send you an honorary uh bronze pin. Now, Ooh. we don't give those away. You've got to win Ooh, one.
2: You'd be on maybe, a short list, maybe. a short <laughs>
0: list, Chris. Uh, we've never first given all, away an honorary ball. bronze pin. Maybe I, I, I don't
1: do do participation. So. Okay, honorable. Oh,
2: so you, you competitor. Go. That's what so we want.
0: We will wait to send you the hat until you win. The tournament, then we can send it along with the pin. So yeah, that I don't want to. I did not win. That would. I oh, I love it. This that would be great. so fun to have you play and jump on the Zoom thing, man. We we would have a ball with that. But you know, let's let you go. We spent more time with you than we said we would. But uh, any any kind of final parting words as you as you go off into the sunset tonight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just hope Jim's not a crier. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he is a little. He <laughs> is a little. No, no tears. No tears. Let's see. <laughs> uh, Top to final I'll see two. You guys in the home game, and I don't want to hear anybody complaining. No bad beats. Just like okay, a man, say good game, and get off the stream.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right chris well thank you You're again so much for your time
1: we'll we'll be in
0: touch it won't be another 186 now we've now we get to get a hold of you so uh, uh we'll do this
1: again great, now i gotta change my damn number all right cool <laughs> yeah that's
2: it <laughs> thanks again chris thank you chris great. take care thank you, guys. enjoy it yeah. have a good,
1: have a good one. night yeah take care we're gonna hang on
0: here and take care of some stuff you could just jump off there all right uh there he goes uh chris moneymaker uh i had fun <laughs> uh, how <about> you guys? <laughs> how he's could so you cool. not have
4: fun yeah. with
2: Chris no Moneymaker? No kidding. No
3: kidding. Yeah, he's just he's just the best. He's really yeah. he's really a great ambassador for the game. And uh, you can see why the moneymaker effect happened, just you know, hearing him talk, right? I mean it's like it, it became this relatable event that people were like, oh, that guy, that guy seems like a cool guy. I could do this you yeah. know
2: yeah well, everything like rob, from like from rounders and uh like you know growing up playing follow the queen and all that stuff like it's like it's every person's story it's the, yeah, and yeah. Uh, he's just he's so he's such a natural fit for that it's wonderful sorry andrew
5: no you're fine like rob said it, it, he hasn't really changed it doesn't seem like he's still just the most approachable guy one of the most approachable guys you're going to come across i mean for somebody that has had the success that he has had and what he did for the
6: the world of poker i mean he's still just the same old
5: guy, it seems like. so.
6: Oh, yeah, and I've heard lots of people talk about sitting down to play with him at, like, a 2-5 table at your local casino whenever he's there. And he's just having a blast, and everyone's having a blast with him. You know, really great guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that yeah was I love that fun, he's... Man.
2: He he goes out and wins the main event, and he's now talking about, like, who he's getting coaching from and how he's trying to improve his game, you know, Mm -hmm. and, like, learning with other people whether they're better than you or worse than you, and I just think, like, that's just exactly the right way to be thinking about all this stuff, and it's just impressive that he's able to maintain that kind of attitude despite his success. Remarkable.
3: My The first time I went to the World Series of Poker, one of my, my favorite, like, Chris Moneymaker stories is, like... I, and this he doesn't know this, but... Like, so I went... I, the day before I started playing, I went into the... J- just to kind of, like, get the sense of it so that when I went and actually played, I wouldn't be throwing and whatever. So I went in, and there was this... Um, there was like the it was a 25k or 50k thing going on in the amazon room and i went in you know it's like and it's all the luminaries it's like yeah. you know the the negronu's the hellmuth's the ivy's whatever and i'm like oh there's that guy this guy and then then i went and i looked and i went to go because i was going to play in the deep stack the next day and i went and go and checked out the pavilion room where the deep stack was playing and like i'm just looking around this room and there's there's deep stack going <laughs> on and it's just a bunch of people i don't recognize and i'm like oh my God, there's Chris Moneymaker in the middle of it, you know the deep stack and that's just like that's just what he's doing, right He's just grinding away, loving loving the deal He guys can't be bothered with this like you know whatever high roller thing and and that's just I don't know. It's it's just awesome.
0: That's why it's so relatable. Uh, yeah. I just love it. I love the story. I love his energy. Yeah, it was just had a super fun time. And then, you know, like, and just so the people know, we have tried to get Chris on before, but you know, it's it's hard to get through, you know, agents and and all of those things. And then Jim was up and played a turn played a tournament, a, a charity tournament, up in Toronto. Chris was there. I think you asked him, hey, would you ever come on the podcast? Somehow you made that connection and then got in touch with his agent and eventually he came on. So it wasn't like we weren't trying to get Moneymaker on, <laughs> but it did take 168 to get there.
2: It's true. It took two Chris's, in fact, because Chris Jones had to notify me on Twitter that that uh, charity well, tournament was even happening. Otherwise, I wouldn't have uh, known about it. And um, yeah, it was great. I just, I just walked up to him and we just started talking about poker and I said we were doing this rec poker podcast and uh, he knew immediate he knew immediately what i was talking about like recreational poker and how great it was to be dealing with recreational poker players and how much he loved that and so we just knew it was going to take no time at all to get it going once we uh once we got it started. And how great is this? And we've got a few members here in the chat coming in. Martha, Jen, a couple, we got three Robs on the show tonight. Can you believe yeah. that? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's way getting too many your Robs. Questions. Yes, that's too many Robs. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Too many Robs. <laughs> but how nice, And you know, this is exactly what the Soul Rec Booker thing is about, getting together and, learning yeah. together and chatting together. So I just that was
0: fun. And we're going to, we will approach him see if we can get him on for a week from now. into the triple stud thing, let's see if we can make that happen. And well, it's going to break Somsky.
2: his little heart. If we don't, it sounded like he's going <laughs> right. to be waiting by the phone. We got <laughs> to keep Somsky
0: away. We don't want Somsky to win a mixed game title.
2: <laughs>
5: Bring in a ringer for that. Just so Somsky doesn't get it. It's like what you
0: guys did with the Canadians. Now you guys make me, you guys, I lose that bet. Like now there's never any Canadians playing at night. Like once in a while, Lita shows up, but that's it. Like, where are the rest? They once they once they took it away from me, they they're gone. That's gonna be the same thing here. All
4: right,
0: wine, well,
4: let's, wine, let's, wine. I know. I know. The inc- that's the incentive. <laughs>
0: I know. So we're gonna bring in ringers every mixed game to keep Somsky away from that. That sounds fair. Spin. Sounds He fair. wins enough as bring
2: it him. is. He's got enough going for him, John Somsky. Just coming off a nice relaxing vacation, I heard too.
6: Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. So it was- I actually had very little uh, internet access, so it took me like we had three new people sign up for the home game and it took me like about an hour just to get in to approve
0: them oh, John. because the yeah. internet
6: access was so bad. I mean, I was sitting there talking with everyone. So it's not like I was just,
0: right. you know. But with, oh. And with PokerStars, like, you know, I can do some things for that group, but I can't approve men- members. So it's like, it's, you're the only one that can approve members the way that they have that set up. So it's kind of a right. kind of a bummer. So if you got, if you got admitted this last week to play, you owe Somsky a big, a big favor because he's on vacation trying to log in just to give you access to the home game. So, John, why don't we – thank you for doing all that, John, and welcome back. But why don't we uh, kind of turn it over to you to give us a little update on what's happening with the home games.
6: All right. Well, our uh, monthly No Limit Hold'em home game is going to be on July 1st, which is the first Wednesday of the month. And that's the one that we do uh, a monthly game, and we collect the points series for the player of the year. And then July 8th, as we had previously mentioned, is our mixed game, Triple Stud. There is a video available, so go ahead and uh, watch that if you're interested at all there or need any help on stud. Um, on Oh, and Triple Stud, by the way, is just a round robin of the three stud variants. So stud high, huh. stud eight or better. And then Raz would just... Oh, wait, there's three games? Stuff. We're playing yes. three games?
2: Yes. yes. Oh, my God. I thought God. it was like some
0: kind of a triple draw or something. I something thought good. it was a no, triple no, no. draw
6: <laughs> game. <laughs> we're oh, three stud, games. there's no draw
4: in stud. Uh, I don't know this.
6: <laughs> now we're playing three different games? Oh, no. It's, it's basically the RSE out of horse. So that's what we're okay. playing.
2: R.I.P.
6: Good We're not going to do the
0: whole part. <laughs> okay. Uh,
6: uh, all right. <laughs> and then uh on Monday, July thirteenth is going to be the June SDS Tournament of Champions. Yeah. So after uh June is over, I'll be posting up the people who are eligible to play. You can check that out on Facebook. You can check it out on um Discord and I'll probably also put it on the website as well. So uh, you'll learn how to join and sign up for that tournament of champions.
2: And, and who on the core team still has to punch their ticket to get out of the loser's lottery this month? I do. I'm in. I'm in. Uh-oh. I, I made it. Okay, we got a couple of maybe – well, well. there's only two more days and there's three of you, so I think this might solve itself. I'm excited <laughs> to see. Someone's <laughs> no, going to have to, to record play. it.
4: I'm trying hard last, play,
6: so. last night to get in there, and I got second place, but you know, yeah. second place oh. doesn't get you anything. That's just the <laughs> loser.
4: That's just the first loser. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and way to go, first
0: loser. Um, so, well, and I just want to chime in there too because there, there's I, we've been able to collect as many emails as we can from a lot of people, but there are two June winners uh, that we do not have contact information for. So, if you are or you know uh, Jacob K, who goes by Keck Geek. Uh, online, or if you're Mark Foster, who goes by Anciano 1941, we need your email. We don't know how to invite you to this tournament of champions. So uh, get that into us, uh, Steve at rec. Poker.
6: And uh, another, I've been getting a number of questions about, you know, are we going to be continuing the social distancing series in July? And after much uh, discussion, we've decided that we are not going to continue the social distancing series. <laughs> into july instead we are rebranding it (laughs) and it's going to be called the Rec poker nightly game series let's go the reason we're doing this is whether we're social distancing or not we want to be able to get together so we're going to be having this for the foreseeable future as long as you keep on showing up we'll keep on having the home games and the social distancing series will be known as the Rec poker nightly series from now on
2: it's just too it. good not to keep doing it we're it's having so too much, much fun we can't stop yeah sorry All john right. you've
6: got a job for life <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well i mean it's really not that much work but anyway <laughs> uh going on to june 22nd we had marble jams jefferson cup for berg and it's his first sds win or nightly series win um On June 23rd, Magra 44, Doug Drebeck got his fifth nightly series win. June 24th, Witchy Stuff, Leda Ligari got her third win. Uh, On June 25th, and this is just disgusting, we had Magra 44, Doug Drebeck coming back for his sixth win.
0: And he's won Um, a mixed game. He's got seven wins.
6: Right. I mean, that really shouldn't be allowed.
0: And in one so, of those two, he beat his kid's head. He beat his kid heads up. Oh, who who's, who, who
2: so, also has a couple of wins. The force so, is strong in that family. Uh,
6: okay. Everyone should be going after MAGRA 44, yeah. I think.
0: Drebeck, you're done. I think we should put a bounty on him. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. like I like like this. <laughs> Come on, Double D, we're going to put a bounty on you. We, we haven't figured out what our Hall of Fame credentials are yet, but this guy's like going to get the Hall of Fame in the first year.
6: On June 26th, M. Babker, Michael Babker, got his second SDS win. On June 22nd, we had Anciano 1941, Mark Foster, his first win. And on June 28th, JB Twin Cities, Joanne Bird, took it down for her second win.
2: Go JB. And I don't know if Witchy Stuff is watching the YouTube version or listening to the audio version, but Witchy Stuff, way to go. That was fantastic. Keep rocking it up.
0: Don't make me mute you.
2: (laughs) I know he'll do it. He'll do it. (laughs) Another
0: Canuck. All right. Great stuff, John. As always, uh, always on top of that stuff. Thanks for all your work on that deal. All right. What do you say, Mr. Jones?
3: Uh, yeah, so in Memberland, um, July is approaching, and our July month is all focused around bluffing, the art and act of it, um, telling a good story. So we are um, I think we, we had a really great uh, conversation. We'll be posting the seminar soon, um, so stay tuned for that.
0: And as an author yourself, telling a good story is near and dear to your heart
3: yeah we dipped we dipped into some storytelling theory, um which I think has some relationship to poker, which was, uh, was a fun part of the conversation
2: this one 's probably my favorite so far uh and I just love the way that you guided the conversation through the story of the theory of bluffing and some of the uh, some of the more Uh, anecdotal stuff, the the table play stuff. I just thought it was really well done. Looking forward to getting some feedback from the members about that.
0: Yeah. And if you're, if you're listening to this and you know, because of the moneymaker thing, you're like, Oh, I listened to the moneymaker episode and you're still listening. Uh, We did a section from that seminar in last week's podcast, just to give people a flavor for the value of these seminars. So go back and listen to episode 167, I guess, uh, if you want to get a flavor for how those seminars work. Anything else, Mr. Jones? That's it. All right. Thank you very much, Andrew.
5: All right. Last week we had our learning with content partners. We had Red Chip and Learn Pro Poker. Uh, so make sure to go check that out at rec.poker. Dot uh, Our next uh, learning with partners will be July eighth uh, at six thirty p.m. Central Time. So make sure to go ahead and take a peek at that if you have a chance to stop by. Uh, also, remember Learn Pro Poker is still running their summer sale. As Steve mentioned, it does end on July first. That's this Wednesday, in case anybody's wondering. Uh, so right now its membership is30 dollars a month or 35 or 3, 305 annually. So that does end, end on the first. So go ahead and take a peek at that. Take advantage of that. It's a great value. Uh, you check that out at rec.poker/resources.
4: Fantastic. Robert. Hey, we've got our uh, book study coming up on Wednesday, July 1st. Um, we're tech, we're going through the book, the game plan by Matt Matros, um, really interesting way of approaching poker for the newer player, uh, the less sophisticated player, maybe, uh, adding a little aggression into your game. It's uh, really a fun book. I've, I've read it a couple times already now. I'm just, uh, trying to gain the concepts and trying to use them myself as I play. And it's really been a lot of fun. We also had a contest, and uh, a guy named Philip Fuhrer won the PDF version of the book. Now, I've I've known this guy uh, who he is because he used to have a a Minnesota Poker Podcast a long time ago called the CPL Podcast. Huh. I used to listen to it. I'm sure John's probably listened to it.
6: Oh yeah, I was. Uh, I think I was even
4: interviewed on it once. Oh. Nice. So. That must, that was probably before I knew you because they haven't uh, recorded anything for quite a quite a few years yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. But so anyway, he won that uh, he won that copy on the uh, contest we gave out, and so we're hoping to see if he can uh, join us for the Wednesday night um, book study. That should be a lot of fun. So that's at six thirty Wednesday night, um, and come and join us. Should be a gas.
5: I just started it today. I'm actually really looking forward to the discussion uh, this one's going to bring in. I'm uh, all the way through, almost to the end of the first rules. So I'll, I'll easily be done by Wednesday, but I'm uh, I'm really excited to see just the discussion on, on other people's opinions on what they think of this so far.
4: Yeah, we're going to go through rules one through four, if anybody's reading the book. um we're prob- well, I think we can get through one through four. They'll, like you say, Andrew, I think there'll be a lot of discussion. So we're going to try to get through one through four. But uh, I think that's a good stopping point. The, read the first four rules and then talk about those and how you can incorporate them into your game.
0: And, and who's invited that? Any, any of our members, right? Any of, your, any of our right. paid members are welcome to join that. So the information is in the membership site. If you don't know how to get there, get a hold of me or Rob or whoever, uh, any, any way, shape or form. And I know there's a few members that have already uh, shown a lot of interest in jumping on there. Uh, I wasn't able to make the first session, but I did some of the editing. And it seemed like you guys are going to have a ball with this thing. So uh, it seems like a great way to, to meet people, to have great conversation, to learn quite a bit. Uh, and and grow your game and your community and all that stuff so I'm I'm super excited about it Rob man thanks for leading the charge.
4: Yeah we had uh, two members on last uh, on the last one and that was a lot of fun we got to talk to a couple of members and they got to throw in their two cents and talk about some of their experiences so it's a lot of it is just sharing each other's um, experiences and and the way they look at the different concepts that we're talking about and like uh, Chris Moneymaker mentioned earlier there's a just just talking to other people about their approaches. You know, you play Ace King and seven people have different <laughs> ways of playing Ace King. So uh, nothing is standard and it's all, it's all just uh, community and learning together and it's uh, going to be a lot of fun. And,
2: and I love the way that Rob's approaching this, which is that we're not in a rush to get through the material. So we're really taking the time. Like one of the things that I love about this rec book community is we go off on these strategic tangents and then we cover some really interesting territory that maybe wasn't in the agenda for that conversation, but it's so valuable. And once you get a few people in the room talking about this kind of stuff, I feel like the conversations that uh, just grow out of the subject material are really, really valuable. And you just don't get those when you're just reading the book alone. So I think, uh, you know, if we only get through a couple of rules, but we, yeah. we, you know, spend the time well, like I, I just can't wait. I'm looking forward to this every two weeks. You'll find me there for sure.
5: Tangent, tangent is a good word there because we did go off on a few of those <laughs> last week. But it was like you said, it's it's we got into good discussions with it. So it's just mm-hmm. it's you can't beat it.
0: And, and it sounds like Matt Matros will join us at the end of the whole thing, whenever that is to do some Q&A and, and that sort of thing. So that's super awesome. So thank you guys for, for leading that charge. Uh, Mr. Reed, what do you got for us?
2: I'm just I'm, I'm I've said my piece for today, man. Get get this Jim Canadian guy off the mic. Let uh, let Steve take us out of here. I think we're just in <laughs> yeah. we're all in awe. I can't believe I just like Chris MoneyMaker was just here. We had this wonderful uh, so chat. Fun. And how great so is fun. it, by the way? He talked about the two things he would point out being position and stack sizes. And of course, those are the two things that Chris Jones chose to start our yeah. whole seminar program with because he knows that's what the recreational players need to be focusing on. So shout out to you there chris
0: and then when the 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 hand or the the question i was asked out of the chat was the bluff against farha and he broke that down too so there's your next seminar topic right so yeah phenomenal phenomenal stuff
3: and you know that hand in particular i wanted to ask about this but i think we were kind of getting low on time but like that hand in particular you know i don't think anybody even knew what a blocker was but Mm. um it was the perfect hand because it had all the blockers it blocked the straight it blocked the flush it, it was it was like a it was it was a It was a blocker hand before people knew what blockers were. That's so good. Yeah, And it was perfect.
5: Well, it was just perfect because the way they thought about poker back then is uh, you put them on an exact hand. You don't put them on a range. And so that was just showing what it was 17 years ago to what it is now is just insanely different. And I just want like, that's, it was a perfect transition for where we wanted to go with it uh, too. So.
0: so good. So good. Well, the, the last couple things that I have, one of them is, you know, we're doing this Tuesday night thing. Uh, so tomorrow night, uh, well, depending on when I air this, if we air it Monday or Tuesday, depending on when I get my editing done uh, either tomorrow night or tonight. Uh, but anyway, Tuesday, June 30th, uh, we're going to do one more, Uh, Tuesday night, uh, online, play and hang. We call it the OPA. It's open. So it's an open OPA. Uh, And if you're playing in the home game, you can jump on to the Zoom thing the link is right in the homepage at Poker. i'll be out there some other people will be out there i will have breakout rooms it'll just have a blast so play the home game uh jump out there uh give us some feedback on what you think it's something that we're considering doing uh, more and more of in the future cuz cuz we just love doing that thing and then the Steve, only other that's thing that's for that's
2: for everybody right not just for premium members anybody who is playing in the home game can come and join you and, and play face to face and hang out
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So so for now, I mean, the home game is just wide open to whoever. Uh, the Zoom meeting is a wide open to whoever. So yeah, jump on there. Uh, have a blast and we can uh, rip on each other a little bit. Then I assume my Kings will get cracked in three hands in and then we'll be good then I'll just sit there and have conversations all night while the rest of you play. Uh, that's how it's been going. Queens, Kings, Aces, and Ace-King against Ace-7 last night. So it's it's just what it is. It's bad beats, but it's like, okay, so I'll just be stuck on there for three hours talking to people while you all play. So I might just, just call my sliding. way to
5: as close <laughs> right. to live as we can get. You can watch Steve as you bust him,
0: <laughs> right? You know, and then and then I win one. And everybody's like, "Oh, you're so lucky. You never get beat." And like, yeah, yeah. Where were you? Oh my god! All right. And then the uh, the only other thing I want to bring to the attention is is the pins. Uh, so we're going to change things up a little bit with the pins. So uh, through the end of June, uh, it's still. Uh, you know, you, you win a pin, we send it to you. You get one, you can win one pin per series. So if you win a mixed game, you can win one mixed game pin. Uh, you can win one SDS nightly game pin, that kind of thing. We'll send them off to you. It's getting more expensive uh, than we thought to actually send them because of the shipping and all that kind of stuff. So what we're going to do though, uh, is uh, you still win the pins and I'll hold them for you. Uh, but if you're a premium member, if you're a paid member of Poker, and you win a pin, we send it out. No, char- no charge or anything. If you order merchandise, or I'll hold it until you order merchandise, we'll send it out with the merch. No charge whatsoever. But if you win a pin and you're not a premium member or you're not ordering merch but you still want the pin, uh, we'll send it to you, but it's going to cost 10 bucks just because we got to cover the the cost of the pin and the shipping and that sort of stuff. And we we ship it in a way so it's going to show up uh, well uh, for you. So just a little heads up on that deal. Uh, but uh, I don't mind holding on to them and shipping them out whenever you order your new you know, red hat or pink sweatshirt or, or whatever that is. So that's the deal, but we're so excited to continue those things every, every single night. Uh, that's, that is so awesome. So with that, uh, anything else that we missed you guys uh, that needs to be shared with the community? Great stuff, great episode, great updates. All of that was awesome. Uh, go to Poker. sign up for our newsletter, man. That's the best way that you can probably uh, stay tapped into everything that's going on if you're not listening to all of the announcement portion uh, of the podcast. Thank you to Running Aces, Casino, Racetrack, and Hotel. Thank you to Website AMP. Thank you to Learn Pro Poker. Thank you to Chris Moneymaker. Uh, that was fantastic. Thank you, Jim Reed, Chris Jones, Andrew Feist, Rob Wash, and John Sonsky. Great stuff. Take care, everybody.